I want to sing for you a verse of a famous worship song that was written in 1954. You probably know it, but despite its popularity since 1954, I don't think churches sing this one. Feel free to sing along if you know it. Fill my heart with song and let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. In other words, please be true. In other words, I love you. Have you heard that worship song? All right, you're nodding your head, but you probably have not heard that worship song in church, I'm imagining. Or you should have exited quickly. All right. Most people associate Fly Me to the Moon with Frank Sinatra, who released that in 1964. It's a worship song if you think about it. But the object of worship is a lover and not God. If you put God as the object of this verse, it's true worship. He, he nailed it. It kind of sounds like a Psalm of David. So let me embellish this a little bit to make a point. Fill my heart with song for you, O God. And let me sing forevermore about your great glory. You are all I long for, God, all I worship and adore, nothing else. In other words, please be true, be faithful to me, O God. In other words, I love you, God. Frank Sinatra was right. Whatever fills our heart with song, whatever we long for and adore most, whatever we love most, that is what we worship. Last week, we saw that God is supremely great and therefore is the only acceptable, uh, acceptable and logical object of worship. God is the heartbeat of true worship because he is supremely great. People worship lesser things because they can't see the extent of the greatness of God. If they would look to Christ and see and experience God's supreme beauty and worth in the gospel, they would worship God alone. But until their eyes are open, they will continue to settle for dissatisfying idols. Today, I want to help you understand how to be a true worshiper by more precisely defining true worship uh, or the kind of worship that God wants. What is that? See, our culture shows us what idolatrous worship is all about, and God shows us in his word what true worship is all about. So let's begin with a few simple illustrations that highlight several different biblical elements of worship, and each of these illustrations relates to a more technical definition that I'm going to give you afterwards. And the goal is for you to know what true worship is so that you can worship like that, so that you can do it. That's the goal. So here are the, the illustrations. Some of you hunt. And so let's say it's a cold and uh, clear October morning, and you're in your tree stand. And you look up, and there about 100 yards away is a huge buck that would easily score 170. Your heart races. You think of your game room. You zero in. You watch the buck's every move. You study his, him closely. You study his form. You study his movements. You study his position. You study his pace. You study his awareness of the situation. And you're not studying that frisky little squirrel anymore. Who cares about the squirrel? You are zeroed in on the buck. 
At full draw, you hold the pin steady over the buck. You're locked in. You are determined not to miss this buck. The greatness of the buck heightens your concentration on the buck. That concentration is similar to true worship. When you take your first bite of a burger or a steak or tofu, if we have any vegans in the house, uh, what happens? Well, your eyes might roll and you make these juicy guttural, these weird juicy guttural noises, right? And, and you might say something like, this is delicious, right? Isn't that how you do it sometimes? And no, no, what is that? What are you doing? You love the taste, so you express your delight. That enjoyment is similar to true worship. When I met Christina at LMH at an LMH basketball game about 19 years ago, I was drawn to her beauty, of course. Uh, We didn't date until two years after graduating from Grove City College, but when my time came and I knew it was time to pursue Christina... More than my feelings were involved. My emotions were there. I was excited, but my mind was there too. I was drawn to her beauty. But it also made logical sense for us to be together. And so I told her my logic. Now, oddly, she did not see the same logic at the time. She did eventually see the logic in it. Uh, so in, in time, our love and affection grew, but so did the rationale of a married life together. Getting married was emotionally exciting for us, but then it also made logical sense. And it, it not only made rational, logical sense to us, but to people around us. It was heart and it was mind. That's similar to true worship. Heart and mind. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. We remember our fallen troops. When someone joins the military, they take a serious oath of commitment to the United States. Not France, not Russia, the United States alone. Our soldiers defend our country with what I'll call gutsy commitment. They put their lives on the line. They will die for what they believe in. We admire that kind of commitment. They take a verbal oath. Absolutely, that verbal oath is really important. But it's more than verbal. They prove their commitment when they put their lives on the line. When they carry the gun into battle. You know their true commitment when you watch them serve their country. Then you know they're committed. That committed service is similar to true worship. British commoners address Queen Elizabeth as your majesty, and they bow to her. And those words, your majesty, communicate respect for the queen, reverence for the queen. Now, it would be extremely out of place and extremely disrespectful if you went to the queen of England And you address her, yo, what's up? How you doing, girl? I mean, that would be way out of place. The importance of the position of queen necessitates reverence. That communication of reverence 
is similar to true worship. Now, all of these illustrations taken together give us a taste of true worship. The concentration on the hunter is a response to the greatness of the trophy buck. The enjoyment of the burger or steak or tofu is a response to the great taste of the food. The captivation of the heart and mind of the lover is a response to the beauty and the worth of the beloved. The committed service of the soldier is a response to the honor of the duty. The communication of reverence of the British commoner is a response to the greatness of the position of queen. So if God is supremely great last week and he is supremely great, how should we respond to a God? God commands us in his word to worship him, to worship him only. Jesus said that God is seeking true worshipers. Well, what is true worship? What is worship that pleases God? One pastor explained true worship as, quote, a magnifying of God, an act that shows how magnificent he is, an act that reveals or expresses how great and glorious he is. And he added, worship is all about consciously reflecting the worth or value of God. That's true, isn't it? Worship is responding to the unequaled greatness of God in a way that displays his unequaled worth. There are at least four Hebrew words in Scripture that can be translated to worship. There are at least four Greek words in Scripture that can be translated to worship. Some mean to bow down or prostrate oneself as a sign of humility, homage, uh, veneration, even adoration, and to show esteem for what you're bowing for, to show allegiance to what you are bowing before. Other words mean to serve God or to carry out a religious duty for God. Think religious rites or religious sacrifice or servitude, even enslavement to God. Another sense of worship is to fear or to have a fearful wonder or awe in the presence of God, to be enthralled with God. Another sense of worship is to seek God or to ask God. And then there are words like praise, gladness, rejoice, fear, shout, which all relate to worship in some way. So a lot goes into a definition of worship when you look biblically. When we bring it all together, we begin to understand the heart of worship or how our hearts should beat for God alone, how we should respond to in unlimit, the unlimited greatness of God. So here is my attempt at a technical definition of worship. And I hope this helps, but each illustration that I gave you is going to relate somehow to this technical definition. Hopefully make it easier for you to, to remember and to clarify it along the way. It's long and precise, so listen closely. True worship is spirit-led, Bible-saturated, faith-filled, concentration on, and enjoyment of the one triune God in the heart and mind which is inevitably expressed in committed service and communicative reverence. Now, that's a mouthful. 
I know you're probably not going to memorize that on the spot. That's fine. But if you got lost in the middle of the, the definition, no worries. We're going to break that down and slowly move through that. And again, the goal is for you to understand what worship is and then to do that, to do what we're talking about here. True worship is spirit-led, spirit-led. Jesus said in John 4, 23 and 24 that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So true worship is in spirit. Therefore, true worshipers must have the Holy Spirit in them to lead their spirit in worship. Now, how does someone get the Holy Spirit? How does someone get the Holy Spirit? By repenting of their sins and trusting in Christ alone to save them and receiving the Holy Spirit as a gift from God. That's how you get it. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says this, No one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. So to say Jesus is Lord is a, a declaration of faith, but it's also a declaration of worship. It's worshiping. It's recognizing who Jesus is as Lord, which can only happen in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.18 says this, For through him, talking about Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So how do sinners gain access to an eternally glorious and righteous and holy God? Through Christ in one spirit. Worship is in one spirit. Philippians 3.3 is very clear. For we are the circumcision, Paul says. That means the true people of God who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. True worshipers worship only by the Holy Spirit. Our confidence in our worship is not ourselves, is not our flesh, it is the Spirit of God in us. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate worship leader. And my question is, is He leading you? Without the Spirit, you will absolutely worship lesser things when you take the Spirit out. Without the Spirit, you're an idolater. We all are. But Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. True worshipers are children of God led by the Spirit of God. True worship is Bible-saturated. Kids, water balloon fight. Oh, yeah, they're awesome. So when you're in a water balloon fight and it's in the thick of things... You are completely saturated with water. Your, your clothes are dripping wet. That's saturation, completely filled with water. It's awesome. True worship is dripping wet with Bible. Dripping wet with Bible or truth. Once again, Jesus said in John 14, 23, and 24, I want you to fill in the blank here. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and Truth. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Truth is essential to worship. When you, when you hear the word truth, I want you to think three things. Bible, Jesus, Holy Spirit. 
Bible, Jesus, Holy Spirit. First, the Bible must saturate your worship. Psalm 119, verse 160 says, The sum of your word is truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Your word is truth. So then when the songwriter sings in, in Psalm 43, verse 3, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. He is ready to follow the truth of God into the presence of God to worship God. The truth leads him there. He added, verse 4, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. The truth of God's word leads us to God to worship him as our greatest joy. The joy of our rejoicing. Second, Jesus, the truth, must saturate your worship. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except just one way, through Christ. Through Christ. The only way to reach God, the only way to worship God, to be in the presence of God, is if you enter and you worship through Christ. His Son, the truth. Third, the Holy Spirit of truth must saturate your worship. This connects to the last point. Jesus called the Spirit of God the Spirit of truth. He told the disciples the Holy Spirit would guide them into all the truth. Folks, the Bible that we have is God's word. He spoke it. He communicated it. And true worship is saturated with God's word. Not a Bible sprinkle here and a Bible sprinkle there. It is soaked. It is drenched. It is dripping wet with Bible. Please hear this. Too many people's worship is small and insignificant and trivial and banal because there is so little of God's word in it. Is your worship drenched with Bible? Is your worship saturated with Christ? Is your worship dripping wet with spirit? True worship is faith-filled, faith-filled. If you think about it, how could anyone worship God if they don't believe in God? Unbelief murders true worship. Doesn't the Bible say the righteous shall live by faith? By faith, in John 9, 38, there was a blind man, unbelievable time, Jesus healed the guy, and he said, I believe, Lord, I believe. And then what did he do? He worshiped. Jesus. Worship Jesus. Faith fills true worship. Hebrews 11 talks a lot about faith. In verse 6, it says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So to get close to God, you have to believe in God. You have to trust him. And you have to believe that God will reward you when you seek him in worship. He, he will reward us. Is your, is your worship filled with confidence? Confidence and trust in God and his word. Do you believe that when you seek God in worship, 
He will reward you. He will reward you. True worship is concentration on the one triune God. We concentrate on things that we find important to concentrate on, that are serious. So you probably pay more attention to the directions on your children's uh, medication than you pay attention to the directions on your shampoo bottle. You understand where I'm going with that? You probably concentrate when you're making cuts on a table saw. Okay? You focus. So God is triune. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. These three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. God is important. You worship the one triune God when you concentrate on Father, when you concentrate on Son, when you concentrate on Spirit. You look to God. You study God. You fixate on God. Psalm 25 25 says, My eyes are ever toward the Lord. Psalm 123, 1 says, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Psalm 141, verse 8 says, But my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. David was a true worshiper, and this is what he sang. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Psalm 63, 2 through 4. That's true worship. He nailed it. In your worship, are you concentrated on the power and glory of God? And and I know that there are many distractions to worship. There are distractions in here. There are distractions out there when we worship. There are distractions everywhere. We know those, but are you fighting to always focus with laser-like focus on God, the power and glory and greatness of God? Psalm 34, verse 5 says, Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Do do you want to know what true worshipers, how God's greatness impacts them as they worship God? They shine with joy. They are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Have you ever watched paint dry? Worshiping God is not like that. Is not like that. Worshiping God is glorious. People who focus on God as the object of their worship are radiant. They are splendid. They are beautiful. You can see it in their countenance. You can hear it in their words. True worship is enjoyment of the one triune God. Enjoyment. Be glad in the Lord. And rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 32, verse 11. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, 8. Delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 4. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 3, 1. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Philippians 4, 4. God commands us. To be glad in him and to enjoy him. It's a command. 
Now, this point, no doubt, scares some of you. You wrestle very deeply with, with this. And so what I want to do, I want to just come alongside of you and encourage you to help you apply the gospel to your emotions. Applying the gospel to your emotions. Your emotions and my emotions are broken and deeply sinful. We don't feel like we should. We feel for things we shouldn't feel for. We don't feel for things that we should feel for. We don't feel like we should about God. You know, sometimes we feel more for a piece of chocolate cake than we do the Almighty God. Guilty. So we desperately need God's grace to help us enjoy Him more. Did you catch that? We need desperately every day, every moment, God's grace to help us feel for Him, to help us enjoy Him more. It's true, God commands you to be happy in Him all the time. There is never a moment that God's going to give you an excuse to be outside of happiness in Him. Never a moment. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, let me repeat that so that you didn't miss it. Rejoice. That's what Paul is saying. But that's impossible. Considering how deeply sinful our feelings and emotions are. And that's why we need grace. Listen closely to this point. I want to get this right. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that God accepts your imperfect enjoyment of him because Jesus perfectly enjoyed God for you. And when you trust in Christ alone, all his perfect enjoyment of God is imputed, is counted as yours. It is credited to you by faith. Inside of what we call the imputed righteousness of Christ is the imputed perfect joy of Christ that is ours through faith in Christ. God does not joyfully accept your worship because you perfectly enjoy him in it. I really hope you're tracking. If not, go back and listen to the message. This is an important point. God joyfully accepts your worship, your imperfect worship, because it is offered by faith in his perfect son. His perfectly joyful son. His always joyful son. It's impossible for you to feel deep joy in God on your own. You can't do it. But what is impossible for you is possible for God. That's Matthew 19, 26. Apply Philippians 14, uh, 4, verse 13 to enjoying God. Many people just totally misapply this. this I'm going to nail my jump shot in Christ who strengthens me. Let's be careful with how we apply this. Yes, we can do all things like enjoy God through Christ who strengthens us to enjoy God. When your enjoyment of God in worship is tired, when it's anemic, when it's bland and you feel nothing, don't be discouraged. Instead, look to Christ, who is your perfect joy, and trust Him to work 
in you, work his grace in you to enjoy God more. You have to trust. Isn't that fighting the fight of faith? I don't feel like I should. So God, you're going to have to show up and I'm looking to Christ and I'm looking to your spirit to move in me to direct all my emotions and affections to you. Isn't that the fight of faith or at least part of it? Life was going very badly for Habakkuk. Yet he said this, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. Where does your strength come from to rejoice in God? You? No way. God. Your strength to enjoy God comes from God. When you trust God in his word, he will strengthen your enjoyment of him. In Psalm uh, 4, verse 7, David sang to God, very interesting, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Who put joy in David's heart? God did. We are happy when God makes us happy in him. Our worship is empty. It is vain. If it is not filled with the grace of God and filled with enjoyment of God, is God the delight of your heart? Do you enjoy knowing God and serving Him? Do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy being a Christian? Do you enjoy identifying with Christ alone? I am his. Do you enjoy that? Enjoying God is essential. And if you are confused about this point or you don't see it in scripture or you're just discouraged about this, I just welcome, my door is open. Please come talk to me if you're struggling with this. I will try to help you through it biblically. True worship is in the heart and mind. We've touched on this a bit already. True worship is feeling and thinking. Worship that's all emotion is dangerous because you can feel very deeply about religiously wrong things, untrue things. People do that all the time. Worship that's all true thinking. I've got the right doctrine. I've got the right theology, but I feel nothing about it. It's very dangerous. Sounds pharisaical because without enjoying what you believe is true is empty and dead ritual, empty and dead religion. True worship is emotional and true worship is intellectual. In Mark 12, verse 30, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6, 5. Just listen closely. We know this. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. True worship is all of you directed to all of God. Paul said in Romans 8, 5, that those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Colossians 3, 2 adds, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. You struggle with that? I struggle with that every day. Putting my mind on the things of earth. Come on. I need to set my mind on the things of God. Spirit. So you can check out more of those uh, verses on there, but we're going to move, move on on your outline. The last two points really can be do, deduced from the Hebrew and Greek words meaning worship. So, but, but we're going to look at a couple verses that hope, uh, hopefully strengthen that. True worship is committed service. Committed service. 
What would happen if a soldier or a pro athlete or a teacher or a spouse was 50% committed and gave 50% effort? Bad things are going to happen. Amen? Stuff's falling apart. People commit to what they think is important. People commit to what they think is important. You see that they value something by them committing to it. It's that simple, I think. True worshipers are truly committed to serving God. They're not 50%. Their lives revolve around serving God. Their life is defined by serving God. Jesus was very clear with Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Only, 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 only. That is a huge word. God doesn't want you or me to serve anything else. True worshipers know that it's their duty to serve God, but it's more than that. They also want to serve God. They have a driving desire for it. Serving God is privilege for them. It's not drudgery. Listen to these important commands from God. Psalm 2, verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Psalm 100, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Romans 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. In the Count of Monte Cristo, there's a great scene where Edmund Dante's uh, washes up on the beach, and there are some pirates on the beach, and they're kind of lazing around, and they're about ready to kill Jacobo. And so the way that it all works out, uh, uh, he, Edmund, has to fight Jacobo in a knife fight to the death. And so he, he does that. He fights Jacobo, and he wins, but Edmund spares Jacobo's life in this really clever way, and he, and he turned it on, on the, the head pirate guy, and Jacobo responded to him like this, I am your man forever. I am your man forever. True worship is swearing allegiance to God alone. Forever. Romans 6.22 says that we have been set free from sin and have become, very interesting uh, language here, slaves of God. We are slaves of God. You need to consider that. True worship isn't casual. True worship is not half-hearted. It's the highest level of committed service ever. Are you committed to serving God only? With fear, with reverence, with joy. Are you joyfully doing your duty as a Christian? My, oh my, how churches would flourish if more Christians did their duty for God. And your duty is joyful obedience to every last little jot and tittle in the word of God. Perfect obedience. Be holy as I am holy. God expects you to do your duty for him, and you're going to fall flat if you try on your own, so you've got to trust the Spirit to lead you and to follow him to do the impossible. And perfect obedience will not come this side, my friends. It will come on the other side when Jesus comes back and takes us into eternal glory. But we strive with every fiber of our being to obey him joyfully. Now we're getting to the heart of it. True worship is communicative reverence. 
communicative reverence means you communicate your respect to God in some way. You communicate admiration for God, praise, singing, preaching, teaching, conversation, prayer. Lots of expressions communicate reverence for God. And if you think about it, people communicate what they think is exciting. Look, when my kids are really excited about something and they come to me, they might talk over each other because they're so excited. And the volume tends to creep up a bit when everybody's excited and then they want to tell me their message. And their words have a sense of urgency. You can tell that there's something behind this. They're excited. In Nehemiah 8, the people of Israel, they, they gathered together. And Ezra the scribe read God's word to the people. Get this, from early morning till midday. And it doesn't say that people were dozing off. They were actually listening attentively. And the Bible actually says this. Reading hours. And then this happened. Verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The people responded audibly. Amen, true, true. Almost as if they're saying, more. That is true. We delight in it. They bowed down and worshiped. Singing can be a worshipful response of reverence and all. In 2 Chronicles 29, King Hezekiah uh, cleansed the temple and he restored true worship. Verse 29 says, the whole assembly worshiped. And the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. Then in verse 30, it says this, and they sang praises with gladness and they bowed down and worshiped. You see, they communicated their reverence to God. Psalm 95 is helpful. I'm not going to read it, uh, but it includes phrases like sing to the Lord and make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise and come, let us worship and bow down Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Reverence is communicated in some outward way. Okay? How did Jesus teach us to pray? We did it this morning. Did you pay attention to it? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Sacred be your name. Revered be your name. We pray outwardly reverence for God. In Matthew 14, do you remember how the disciples responded to Jesus after they saw him walk on water? Verse 33 says, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. They, they worshipped Jesus by saying something true about Jesus, which communicated their reverence for Jesus. Why? Because they had seen the unparalleled greatness of Christ. The Bible is filled with expressions that communicate reverence for God. God is so great that Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. If the heavens can communicate reverence for God, how much more should you and me communicate reverence for God? We're human beings, the crown jewel of creation. So let me ask you a question. Hopefully it's helpful to you. Are you the type of Christian that says very little about God. You just don't talk about him much. You're more quiet natured, and I'm not, I'm not busting on quiet people because you obviously know that's not me. 
So I am not picking on your personality. I'm just saying, are you the type of Christian that says very little about God? You don't really express your excitement about him. A lot of people like that. Well, if that's you, I just want to challenge you. You need to change that. You need to change that. You need to proclaim your joy in God. You need to communicate your reverence for God. I think to be a true worshiper, other people need to hear from your mouth love and respect and admiration for God. I think that's fitting for a Christian. I think that makes sense because if you're so overwhelmed by the greatness of God and you've seen it and you enjoy it, you talk about other stuff you enjoy, right? I think it's fitting. So that's it. That's my attempt to pull together a definition of worship from the scriptures. True worship is spirit-led, Bible-saturated, faith-filled concentration on and enjoyment of the one triune God in the heart and mind which is inevitably, meaning it will absolutely happen, expressed in committed service and communicative reverence. Is that how you respond to the greatness of God? This is how to be a true worshiper. Everyone worships, but not everyone's worship is true and acceptable worship like this. Our great God is seeking these kind of worshipers, and that's John 4, 23. So let me connect this with last week as I bring it in for a close. When you see the greatness of God in his son, Jesus Christ, who is full of grace and truth, you will worship God like this. You will. You will be a true worshiper. So the final application then is look to Christ. Get your eyes on Christ. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at your own imperfections. Don't look at your imperfect worship. Look to Christ and follow his spirit into true worship. God is the heartbeat of true worship. And our hearts must beat for him alone. So plead with God like Moses. Please show me your glory so that I may worship you alone, God. Then look to Christ Look to Christ, bow before God and worship and serve God in the greatness of his glory and grace. That's how to be a true worshiper. Let's pray. Father, we need your spirit. The first part of the definition, true worship is spirit-led. We need your spirit to show up and to lead us in true worship. We want to worship you, God, but when we look at our worship, it just seems so anemic. To think that somehow it is just saying something about you, but that it is serving you and communicating you and, and giving our whole lives to you, God. Do something great. Help us to truly worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.